When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is Gayish, the podcast with much ado about nothing. Oh boy, howdy, Carol! <laughs> you, have, you have no idea. Uh, I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz, and we're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. And today, today we're going to talk representation. Great, we're going to talk about representation. But first, <laughs> but first, here's the news. Here's the news. Shut your mouth hole. It's time for your ear holes. News, news, news. Okay, so news the first. Joe Biden, he's our president. Did you know that? Mm-hmm, 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 <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. There is a U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and President Biden has nominated Sharon Kleinbaum to serve on that committee. And uh, she is a out lesbian rabbi. Talk about a combo of things. <laughs> she is the chief rabbi of congregation by... I'm going to fuck this up, everybody. I'm real sorry. Here we go. Kleinbaum is the chief rabbi of congregation Beit Simchat Torah, CBST, which is an LGBT plus synagogue in New York. And uh, Cynthia Nixon goes there. Oh, no way. Yeah. So like, hi, she's, uh, she's rabbi-ish? She, she's... Of the, Jewish, Kyle. The word you're the looking rabbis? for is Jewish. She's of the rabbi people? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, so the, 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 the organization that she's now a commissioner of is supposed to evaluate the state of religious freedom around the world and report, it, report back to the president and Congress on, on you know, how that's going, which I'm going to guess well as far as like... <laughs> it's it's a paper with one word yeah. well <laughs> it's pretty good but yeah so so th- there are now three conservative appointees and five liberal appointees and i just i kind of want to be a fly on that wall right like like the widest christian karen talking to this lesbian <laughs> rabbi has got to be the best i what's the what's the point is the point so he can come back and be like chill we did a study and religion is fine like i don't yeah yeah oh, okay I, I mean so i mean I, I do think that that things that come out of this committee in conservative times are like religious freedom is under attack we're being mm. forced to suck dick when we don't want to or whatever yeah. yep yep and... little nas made me little, little <laughs> made me suck dick his demon shoes are turning my son into a sodomite yeah. um <laughs> but uh you know the the balance of power is shifting and i think this is just maybe a an attempt to make a significant course correction in a way that isn't shitty to queer people hmm. interesting all right mm-hmm. 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 um okay enough about that horseshit you ready yeah. yeah news the second news the second hold please i'm doing this from my phone everybody parting the kimono <laughs> <laughs> Uh, news the second this is just fucking awful speaking of religious freedom around the world so uh the country of ghana in in which most gay shit is already illegal there is draft legislation that was leaked to the internet that is like horrific Mm. Uh, like assuming that this was to actually become law this was uh back towards the end of uh july so it's a, a little bit stale but um july was literally yesterday yeah, well, that's true. So uh, <laughs> you're good. Uh, it has been described as, quote, the most homophobic document the world has ever seen. Wow. Um, it, uh, although same-sex sexual relations are already illegal in Ghana and punishable with up to three years in prison, this new bill will criminalize everything from sex toys to trans medical care to simply being an ally. Uh, of course, like all good bills that are full of fucking horse shit, it's got an <laughs> awesome sounding name. It's known as the... <laughs> Promotion of proper human sexual rights and Ghanaian, Ghanaian, Ghanaian. How do you? The person from Ghana, uh, Family Values Bill, twenty twenty one. It's always about family values, Kyle. Yep, yep. Um, Sex toys, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Samuel Narty George, who said that he and seven other members of Parliament would be bringing this legislation forward to criminalize the promotion of LGBT rights, uh, back in March of this year. 
but until this week when these this draft was leaked, it wasn't known exactly how far they were looking to go with all of this. Uh, it specifically criminalizes anyone who holds out as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, queer, pansexual, an ally, non-binary, or any other sexual or gender identity that is contrary to the binary categories of male and female. <laughs> um, sure. Anyone found guilty of being LGBT plus or an ally would face three to five year prison sentence for what is a second degree felony. It also criminalized providing or undergoing any and all gender affirming medical care with the same sentence. And uh, the bill also adds a bunch of, quote, grossly indecent acts punishable with six months to a year in prison as, quote, public show of amorous relations between people of the same sex or among persons where one or more of the persons have undergone gender or sex reassignment. Uh, it includes any show of affection in public, including two boys or girls holding hands, hands around one neck, a kiss on the cheek. So neck, don't even fucking touch each other. And it's, the wording of that is weird, too. Like if anybody if anybody has had any sex uh, assignment surgery, gender confirmation surgery, if any of that has happened, whatever you're doing is illegal. Doesn't yeah. matter if you're straight or gay or the genders involved. Just like if anything, if anything has happened, it's yeah. illegal. You could uh, like girls holding hands. Yeah. Girls hold hands. Yeah. Well, not in Ghana not anymore. anymore. No, yeah. no, I guess not anymore. That's insane. Uh, additionally, sex toys would Jeez. become illegal as would anal and oral sex for all people, not just queer people. Oral sex is illegal. In Straight Ghana. people uh, should be up in arms <laughs> about this. I mean, it. you shouldn't need it to be about you to care, but like no oral sex. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Wives everywhere have just been given permission not to blow their husbands. <laughs> a lot of TMG patients all breathe the sigh of relief. Um, uh, it also bans uh, LGBT plus propaganda, which includes mentioning LGBT plus issues in any form of media, uh, social media included, newspapers or in film, promoting sympathy for LGBT plus people in any way, providing assistance, services or funding to LGBT plus people or groups, or teaching children about the existence of queer people. <laughs> That's it's not dissimilar actually from the really awful oppressive legislation in Russia. Um, yeah. You know, you can label anything as pro queer propaganda and now it's super ass illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jesus. I'm really sorry, Ghana. I'm especially sorry because <clears throat> of this goddamn cough that won't go away. But um, I, I also, you know, it's fairly well documented that a lot of what's happening in Africa and African politics when it comes to LGBT plus people is directly the result of missionaries from the United States, evangelical Christian white fuckfaces going and spreading lies in order to clamp down. Hmm. And um, it's just and it's working and it makes me sad. Hmm. And um, so I are. Or my heart, I won't speak for your heart. You don't maybe have yeah, one. I you don't can know. Toss my but, heart in there. Okay. Oh, great. Goes out goes out to our queer brothers and sisters in, in Ghana. And yeah. uh, hopefully this legislation doesn't come to bear. Unfortunately, I think it's going to. Yeah. Um, and we're really sorry. Yeah, that sucks. Ugh. News the last? Yeah. Okay. I'm ending I'm ending on a happy one. <gasps> Yay. Yay. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Who's fucking amazing. Has a trans daughter named Ruby and has uh revealed that ruby is an out and proud trans woman and that she is getting married and that jamie lee curtis is going to officiate the wedding <laughs> and if you check under your seats there's yogurt for everyone <laughs> activia for everybody activia. <laughs> do you think we get an activia sponsorship i'm happy to <gasps> poop on record and just <laughs> <laughs> all my poops have been on record that's something you need to know about me yep 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 um <laughs> I didn't know Jamie Lee Curtis had kids and I was talking to a, a fraternity brother about it just yesterday and I didn't really know. Uh, she's married to Christopher Guest, famed document, fake document, fake goddamn Mike, use your goddamn mouth. Mockumentarian Christopher Guest uh, uh, is is uh, her husband, which I think is pretty fucking fantastic. He's someone whose name I know for sure, but I like can't, I could not tell you anything about what he looks like. Is he like generic white dude with white hair i mean pretty generic white dude okay. yeah he, he's, right. he's he's quite often in his movies as well he mm. will play you know a, a character not always but but often often will mm. and he you know those mockumentary movies a mighty wind and waiting for guffman and 
Nope. And um, best in show. Best, best in best show. Best in show. Yeah. That's the only one I know. <clears throat> Great. All right. We, I thought he might know the dog one. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I just I think it's it's really it's really great. I Jamie Lee Curtis has just such giant dick energy. I've always <laughs> really loved her, and um, you know, she also quite famously because of that, I think, in the '90s had all these rumors about her being a hermaphrodite. Do you remember all of yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I I just I, I think maybe maybe by virtue of being bullied, I don't know, but she's 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 an ally and is is doing great stuff, and I really I really love her. It's so nice seeing positive stories that's like uh, it's just hey everyone got permission from my daughter to tell you that she's trans and that's awesome and i'm gonna fish here like it's just there's only good things about that story and like uh, yeah those yep. are kinds of new stories we need um yeah uh now if we could just get them to do the wedding in ghana maybe <laughs> jamie lee curtis might well no i don't think even she can't save ghana right yeah um that's the news kyle that's the news speaking of words that we'll say to each other that come out of our mouths sure words that make people's names um i want to thank the following patreon members for (laughs) don't laugh at me um i want to thank the following patreon members for supporting us thank you to terrence sterling i think okay yes my papers fuzzy um carlos just Carlos. Just Carlos. All right. uh, I love those one name folks. <laughs> Just like seven Carloses were like, yeah, that's me. Um, Todd Harwell, uh, Damien Stevenson, and Z Griffler. 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 Griffier. Okay. Z. Great. Uh, thank you so much for your support. It does wonders to our quality podcasting yep. life. Yeah, uh, and I know you. I know you like the Carloses of the world, but we will take your money, no matter how many names you have, <laughs> and as many names as you need. Um, <laughs> if you want to support us, go to Patreon.com/slash/GayishPodcast. Yeah. Uh, representation. Yeah, let's talk about representation. So I am currently in Denver. I've been here all week for the Sigma Phi Epsilon Grand Chapter Conclave, which happens every other summer. And uh, Sigma Phi Epsilon is a social fraternity. It's, it's, it's your typical college frat, like whatever you have in your mind. It's probably not that egregious, but that is indeed the type of organization we're talking about. definitely that homoerotic. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, it, it's interesting because I, I, there's, there's actually like legislation that happens here. Like I had to sit in committee meetings with undergraduates and talk about, hey, what should fraternity policy be? And gender was very much in in the air at this at this event um it, it came up multiple times the, the fraternity has since 1999 allowed m- members brothers uh, regardless of sexual orientation so we were we were f- you know formally uh, allowing gay members of the fraternity and then in 2014 um not by legislation but our national board came up with this policy that allowed for trans members of the fraternity as long as they identify as male a lot of what's wrapped in that is that in order to maintain our status under title 9 as a single gendered organization we can't let in other parts of the gender spectrum into the organization f- for legal reasons and we're we're working on that and figuring out you know what what it means but we do allow trans brothers and it was interesting to me representation here's where we're getting to representation the fraternity is very cis white straight guy it just is but that's not all it is and i am always amazed and in awe of and happy about other kinds of fraternity brothers when it happens and there was a trans brother that spoke on the floor of the convention uh, in in favor of some legislation that we were we were running and it was just such a powerful moment for representation like in that moment all 400 people in that room saw a trans brother who was there and was a human and was speaking about these issues and it was no longer theoretical it was no longer this idea that we were wrestling with or you know an existential crisis born of nothing this this was an actual person that was there participating with us that was that was showing themselves and uh it was it was very it was very powerful it was very very meaningful to me and 
it, it made me realize how much representation matters even inside of organizations, right? Like, cause we often talk about representation in terms of media, right? Like what, who do we see on TV? Yeah. Who do we see in movies? And, and, but it can matter in other ways too, just, just seeing people in real life it, it, on organizations that you are a part of, et cetera. Yeah. It seems like media is like, if, it's the kind of fallback if you uh, are not in a place where you can meet a diverse set of people, then media is like good. But like knowing someone in person, knowing an actual human being uh, is, is always going to be the best. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, the, the second story that I have for, for my, my conference here, there is a sort of underground group of gay fraternity brothers called the Chicago society so named because it was uh, our conference in Chicago in 1999, where we where we were finally allowed to be in in the fraternity, you know, formally. And uh, there are all of these ribbons now. So you you wear credentials around your neck, has your name and your title and where you're from, and then stuff about you that are these colorful ribbons. I'll show you mine a little bit. And uh, one of them, there's there was one this year that says Chicago Society on it, hmm. and it has existed before but sort of underground, but, uh, lots of people wore them this year. It was like we reached critical mass. And so walking down the halls, I could see representation just by people wearing this little lavender ribbon that said Chicago society on it. And it was great because there were, um, there were multiple brothers that I have known over the years that I didn't know were gay. I didn't know yeah. they were queer, but now I did because here's this ribbon. And yeah. it was interesting because it was, it's also flagging, right? Like unless an undergraduate stopped you and said, Hey, what's Chicago society? And a couple of them did. And then I would explain it. Um, you wouldn't know. It's just yeah. kind of flying under the radar. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's like, Oh God, it just, I'm so done with like coming out and uh, just to, to have something that can just be like, yo, I'm gay. And I don't want to say anything. It's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to pin gayness to my shirt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the last thing, and then we can move on from my, my fraternity. Uh, we always elect national officers at this conference and, uh, we elected a new grand chapter president. So the very, the figurehead of the entire fraternity and he is uh, Billy Madelon, a friend of mine, and it, it, he's gay. And in his acceptance speech, in the big speech that he gave at dinner last night, he said, I want to thank my family, my kids, my husband, Brooks. And that's, that's the first time that's ever been said on stage at, at my mm. fraternity. So um, I think a lot of people found out that he was gay when he said that, even though mm. a lot of us already knew. He's not closeted by any means. It's just not you know, there's no reason for it to come up pretty often. Like he's, he's not supposed to start every meeting with, Hey, I'm Billy Madelong and I'm gay. But like, yeah. anyway, um, I just, I just started crying. I know that's weird. <laughs> uh, it was a really, really, really big deal. We have had grand chapter presidents before who were gay, but were not out. For instance, my friend Gary Keefe is Barry Manilow's husband. He was grand chapter president, but that was before he and Barry were on the cover of People magazine. He had left that office. So it, this is the first time that we've elected an out grand chapter president and had him acknowledge his same-sex partner uh, in a speech before the entire body, which that's like 1,200 people. It's interesting that like when we talk rep representation, I, I'm mostly thinking like people that have never seen a trans person before or trans kids that get to see something. But like it, you're talking about, like you've been out for, you know, 53 years now. And, and still that moment, like, I don't know, obviously no one's like perfect with being gay and there's a lot to go through, but like, you're like pretty out and cool and comfortable with it. Like yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I think of the closeted kids or young kids or like, it's, it's interesting how meaningful it can still be in spite of, you know, how out we are and how, like how much we've already worked through it and seen representation in other places. Yeah. And it, it reminds me that I have a duty as a volunteer to be as out as possible without being obnoxious about it. I, I, but I, I need to, I need to be as out as I can because representation mattered to me on that stage last night and mm -hmm. whatever small way I can be that representation for other people as I'm working with undergraduates and alumni in, in, in my chapters, I, I, I want to do that. So, yeah. um, it's, it's anyway, it, it's been, it's been quite a week. I'm exhausted. That's why I sound gross with that and the cough, but, uh, uh it's been a lot no, of fun. You've got and, your, your sexy <clears throat> mic voice going. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, we're going to, uh, I, I think you and I, it was not this way when we started, but you and I think a lot about 
representation when we're doing new projects or when we're like now when we, you know, come up with episode ideas and all that stuff. And, and so we are going to talk to, uh, the showrunner and director of, uh, the show Rurangi and, um, it's a trans, like very trans, like focus and trans storyline. And people are played by trans, uh, trans characters are played by trans actors and yeah every every trans character is played by a trans yeah so i i I will be very interested to talk to them about um just how they think about this like they're they're just such the center of the conversation in the u.s uh right now and and i don't know yeah there's a lot of questions and things i think about with representation and I, i i want to i want to be able to show the diversity of the lgbt umbrella but not do it in a way that's um you know either pandering or like uh, shitty or yeah yeah so anyway i'm excited (laughs) to talk to uh max curie uh from rangi to uh learn a little bit more about uh trans representation and representation in general i think because there's a lot of it in the show absolutely should we take a break yeah let's take a break let's take a break break So are we back? We're back. We're back. Uh, we are here with Max Curry. Max, welcome to Gayish. Thank you very much for having me. Max is the showrunner and director for uh, Rurangi. Am I saying that right? <laughs> no, you're not. Um, <laughs> it's Rurangi. Should... You kind of roll your eyes. Get rid of that sort of Scottish brogan there. Um, and I'm co-showrunner. So I'm co-showrunner with Cole Myers, our kind of gender diverse activist writer. Yeah. All right, off to a great start. I'm <laughs> not going to be able to pronounce. I don't know that Rurungi. <laughs> oh, like this is this is like our native language, Māori. So we're going to give it one shit. more shot. <laughs> Wait, say it again. Rurangi. Rurangi. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. It's way better. Great, great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. So <laughs> you, I'm. It's. I think it's very interesting that you worked on this uh, show that focuses on trans people and has one of the one of the big things about it is all the trans representation, the the, the fact that trans characters are played by trans mm-hmm. um, actors. Also, mm-hmm. you are yourself not trans, so it's interesting to me. Like, what's that dynamic like? I, I I would often I think feel very uncomfortable. Like, am I in the am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? How am I like you know? Am yeah. I I don't know how what was it like working? Uh, it was in a that huge yeah. It was a huge learning curve. Um, I'm a cis gay man, and um, certainly uh, going into this three year process, um, you know, I thought I had my shit together in terms of understanding what the, the T part of, you know, LGBTQI plus was all about. And um, I, I learned really quickly that I had a whole lot of um, uh, misconceptions and preconceptions, and I really needed to go back to school. Um, and, mm. you know, thankfully, I had uh, Cole there to kind of uh, not just hold my hand through this, but you know, allow me very generously to walk in his shoes and see through his eyes. And it was a real, um, it was a real big challenge for our our process. Um, yeah. What What were some of the big things you learned over those three years? Oh man, I mean, I learned about um, transphobia and how insidious it is, and um, I I learned about the crucial importance of pronouns and you know what um, a, a massive difference you know um, this thing that's relatively small a small adjustment in the behavior of cis people um, and what a huge impact it can come it can have on someone's sense of self. Um, I learned about the uh, prejudices and biases kind of built into our screen industry. I mean, we ran a whole lot of initiatives and programs to try and counteract that in the making of Rurangi. Um, And yeah, and I think the hardest lessons, right, is um, I learned about my own transphobia, Hmm. um, which, you know, comes from, you know, uh, being inside a a transphobic society um and so you know that there was hard hard lessons yeah that's not something i would expected to hear from the director of a trans like show a trans movie like this i i'm surprised that 
um, how, how did you then get involved if, in this? Yeah, I mean, I could, I, so I should elaborate on that point, right? Like, because if, if, if you boil it down to Wall, the uh, the director of this, you know, a trans-centric drama series, you know, um, openly admitted to being transphobic. But I think <laughs> that the, the point is that, um, you know, if we're cisgendered and we don't really kind of examine how, um, power and prejudice uh, works in our society that we do just um, you know grow up with uh, transphobic ideas um, and, and and views so kind of rooting those out um, uh, within us and I mean trans people will also talk about their own internalized transphobia growing up in a transphobic society so um, I think you know part of making this show is being really honest about ourselves and you know the the context that that we um, form our ideas in because that allows us to kind of break them down and really kind of get to the heart of things um yeah will you tell us a little bit about the show we i we've sure. talked about some of the themes and trans themes but yeah what, what is it about yeah and I, I mean the 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 trans angle is what makes rurangi um so fresh and different you know trans people in front of the camera behind the camera with power in all the different departments but it's uh, about far more than, than being trans. Vrurangi is about um, a guy who goes home to this isolated rural dairy town that he escaped from 10 years ago, kind of way before he transitioned. And he's going there to reconnect with his roots, with his father, um, with his friends in the wake of a, of a tragedy in, in big city Auckland. Um, and you know, in a word, Vrurangi is about healing. Uh, it's about the healing of people, the healing of relationships, and the healing of of the land, you know, there's a really strong environmental theme going through it. There's a really strong Tao Māori theme going through it, which is Tao Māori means, you know, the Māori worldview. And so you're know, having this kind of trans voice at the center of the show. Um, when you speak to trans activists, they're very interested in how power um, works in the world because, you know, often, so often, you know, they're at the, the rough end of the pineapple when it comes to power. And um, so that, you know, gave us a way to look at these other things going on in New Zealand and the world and deconstruct them in a very fresh way. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask uh, specifically about about the representation of indigenous peoples that Maori uh, isn't, I think, a thing that a lot of people are mm. familiar with unless they're in New Zealand. Can you can you speak a bit about that, about that, that community and what their struggles are and 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 what's happening in New Zealand? Because I. I our listeners in the United States, I doubt, even know what Maori is. Well, I guess the the, the states have their own indigenous people, yeah. don't they? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I guess it's 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 not too big a leap to to understand like the biggest problem facing indigenous people in New Zealand is racism, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I mean, how long do we have? Sorry, that's uh, very um, <laughs> uh, uh, flippant of me. No, no, no. I get it. it, it we're gonna we're gonna solve it right here on this show. Just so you know, like we're, you're not allowed to go until we have a solution. So, <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> uh, um, so what? Let's we'll talk more specifically in terms of like the actual, you know, what happened in the show. So there's a character called Anaheda, which is uh, you know one of the friends that that go way back with our main main guy Kaz, and um, this is kind of uh, borrowed from an experience that that um, the writer and I have have, have witnessed firsthand, uh, which is um, you know, Maori people uh, uh, coming late to their language. You know the. Mm. Um, you don't need to go back too many generations where Māori were like beaten for speaking um, te reo Māori, you know, th their own language, um, this idea that it was, you know, beaten out of a generation and, you know, we nearly lost um, te reo Māori. And um, so uh, this character in the show, Anahera, um, is, uh, decides to learn her language, but she's learning it as an adult. And th so there's this phenomenon of, um, you know, I look Māori, um, everyone kind of assumes that I you know, should be able to speak my own language, which was taken from me. Um, and uh, so we show the the battle she has with her own uh, shame or whakama, which is the Māori word for shame. Um, and she overcomes that in a really sort of spectacular way. She, uh, I, I guess I don't want to give the story away, but that was sort of one example, uh, you know, of, of, you know, 
a story within the Rurangi, you know, that's to do with racism and colonization and kind of reclamation mm-hmm. of of identity and culture. I mean, it's just the, it's the second or third episode, I, I think, and and you, she's in her house and has all of these post-it notes all over the place with the with the Maori word for whatever whatever is going on in her home and. Um, yeah. And then she goes goes to that council meeting, and the the woman speaks to her in Maori, and she has that sort of um, confused look on her face, and then she says it in English, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. You can you can see the struggle of that character with her with her with her own language, like you said. That's really it's really interesting uh, to me. Like uh, this is just you being a part of the crew seems like so you are kind of in this position of power that other trans or indigenous people are not in that feels like was that a a, does that feel like a burden to you to make sure you're using your power in those positions to like make sure everyone is getting the right treatment and representation and the right voice like you 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 are literally the the person in the room that has power (laughs) Mm. um and but and is not you know from any of these groups yeah yeah so that's something that um we tried to shake up you know the the production model uh for the way that we made rurangi because you know the traditional model you know is super hierarchical and director centric and um you know one of the things that we did was that we made sure um uh, that there was a trans person in sort of every department and that it was, you know, they were, these were paid internships as well. The interns got paid more than I did on, on the show <laughs> um, because, you know, we wanted, we knew that this was about a new um, group uh, entering the industry and we wanted to make sure that right from the start um, uh, they knew they were valued and took that expectation forward into whatever jobs were going to come after this. And we, we also made sure that, you know, we we didn't really so much like this word intern because they were often the people that had you know the most lived experience. So um, it, I guess a, a lot of it was about break trying to break down these power structures, um, you know, and and that's you know partly you know uh, as a director you know, through example you know that means um, genuinely listening and making changes. Uh, we we had a intersectional um, uh, panel of of trans Māori, um, Asian, Pacifica people um, who had full veto power over everything. So they read treatments, they read scripts, they saw um, their edits. And, you know, it wasn't just about ticking a box. It was actually saying, look, this, um, we need this to be changed. And um, it was also for me having a really strong collaborative relationship with uh, Cole, the, the voice of the show, um, you know, who also you know, is an executive producer, so they um, had uh, had power, and I think it was just going in aware of the of the way that you know power tends tends to concentrate in these um, parts of the production model, and and really, you know, trying to break that down. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You say when you give a group veto power, then there's a the question of well, do they feel empowered to use it? I'm wondering, did they veto anything, and what an example might have been of something that that was yeah yeah so um the what we called our trans panel um was run by cole you know who is also trans he uses uh they them he him pronouns so you know if i if i change you know he's non-binary so that's why yeah um and so that you know making sure like actually the you know we we didn't put cis people in there to kind of uh, uh, monitor and and feedback you know that that you know that was sort of run internally and and that whole process you know was trusted and sort of cole came back and said you know we had the minutes and said this is what needs to be changed as an example um there was a lot of care around the dead naming of of cares mm-hmm. and i think you know when you come from a more traditional drama model you're like oh this is juicy um you know in a really public place like our lead character is going to be dead named and will show how kind of devastating and painful that is. And like, that's the essence of great drama or this conflict. And so, you know, what came back really strongly was um, we need uh, to do that really differently. Um, And we need to make sure not only that, um, that Kaz's character is not dead named anywhere in the show, but that for example, um, because we use, 
um, a close-up on on uh, the town mayor's lips and the sort of slightly distorted way to show that's happening, um, we made sure that uh, she, because for people that um, read lips, we made sure that she mouthed gibberish so that there's not at any point uh, Kaz's dead name just never is, is it doesn't exist. Like we haven't, we don't even know it ourselves. Um, it doesn't exist in, in anywhere. And so that was like one example of how the show really reflects, um, you know, this trans gaze was we were, we were not even going to do the thing behind the scenes that is so painful for trans people. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of a, an, an, an example that, you know, of, of involving the trans panel, I guess, um, and, and how it changed the way we did things. There was another, a lot of care around how we showed, how we, how we introduced this idea of the anti-trans graffiti into the world of the show without yeah. ever showing it. Um, yeah. And that mm. was, you know, so, you know, in a lot of ways, some of the feedback from our trans panel was about the way in which we could kind of creatively pull our punches because, yeah, trans people get it. You know, they don't yeah. need <laughs> to see this shit um, and we can still tell a story without um, hurting people. Yeah, I mean, that's the first sequence of the first episode, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it was really interesting on the on the website. Like, it, it's it's partially the trailer and the cast and crew. And then it's partially like a blueprint for how to, how to do the representation in a, in a fair way. Like everything you're saying, I have never heard of, you know, a panel that can have full veto power. And then you say it and it's like, Oh, that absolutely makes sense. Like, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, t television um, uh, tends to hate that kind of shit because it takes time, it takes money and it takes power away from the people who are used to having it. And that's, I guess the two big reflections for me is that um, sharing power sucks. You don't want to do it. Like that's <laughs> the most, that's actually the most important power to share. If you're like, Oh, look, I've, I've got this person at my table or I'm letting this person write a scene and you feel good about it and it happens easily. It doesn't matter. Like that's not the power that you need to share. The power that you need to share is the shit that you want to hold on to. Um, and yeah, we, we tried to be really transparent about our failings as well. I mean, there's a lot to read on the website, but um, you know, we, we knew that we would, were sort of um, doing things very differently and we didn't want people to have to reinvent the wheel. So we've, we've, we've documented and put up our process. We actually also did like an internal presentation to Netflix, all their HODs from around the world about kind of how we, we built the show you know, because of the way we were trying to break down these traditional structures and, and work differently. What response did you get from Netflix when you yeah, presented? Yeah, so, I mean, I've got no benchmark, but I heard that it was a really impressive turnout. So we did like a live panel discussion and I think 80 of their HODs tuned in live and then like it was, it was recorded and shared out to the wider global Netflix community of creatives. But um, that was for us coming from New Zealand, that was a, a huge audience of kind of, yeah, um, heads of department from, from Netflix, 80 people. I mean, that's, that's enormous in New Zealand numbers. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask uh, about about casting, if I could, because in in, in in casting Kaz, you've got you've got Els. I don't want to mess up his last name. Els Karad, Karad. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Mike, um, go to the top of the class. Great. Okay. Awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, but he he is he is trans, Maori, not an actor. Mm. How do you find this mm. person? And then he did such mm. an amazing job. Yeah. He did. And so great question because you're probably familiar with when we're talking about diversity and casting, you know, the, the thing we most commonly hear is, oh, well, we looked and we couldn't find these people. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the, the sort of question is always, oh, how hard did you look? Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, folks, uh, w whether we were just freakishly lucky in terms of, of cares being out there, but we, you know, we employed a casting director and you know her her goal was you know it wasn't even negotiable like all the trans characters needed to be played by trans actors um what we did do to sort of give ourselves a, a fighting chance i was really nervous signing on to the project so i was like shit like i you know if we don't find like this this character has to carry the show they need to be phenomenal and 
I was really scared um, that you know uh, we weren't going to find them, or we'd have to cast someone who you know just really wasn't um, up to the job. And it's that thing of I guess you know when if you yeah I mean we we are kind of pioneers in the way in a way like if you if there's nothing that's sort of gone before you that's done that you get really nervous and cagey about it. Um, so I mean. It went the script, the call out went out there, and it's it got into Alza's hands, and that was a big deal because he's been passing, and so you know, um, committing to this role, you know, also meant uh, coming out very publicly as trans, um, mm. which you know had he and his partner had to talk to their kids, and um, you know, it needed to be handled uh, carefully, and I, you know, I just I, I have so much admiration for for Al's and kind of his commitment to the role. But what we did do was that we didn't define Kaz's um, ethnicity. You know, we actually left a lot kind of open because the most important thing was finding a really fucking talented trans actor. And then it was this kind of um, incredible bonus that really opened up the world of Rurangi because Al's is also Māori. He's from the Hokianga. Um, his first kind of learnt language was Te Reo Māori. So that affected the casting of that character's family. And um, and so, yeah, it had a real kind of a flow-on effect that was very true to the character. But, um, he, and yeah, I just, I think he's just a natural, a natural talent. And because there was so much of that real truth in, in his performance, I think that's what um, just allowed him to be awesome yeah how, how do you uh, one thing that uh we often worry about when we're thinking about like we want to make sure we have good representation among all the lgbt community when you know even mike and i are doing an episode or trying mm. to do a new show at the same time we don't want to tokenize uh people and say like okay we need to find a trans person now we need to find a lesbian now we need to find a you know uh, so how, how do you find that balance uh in, in finding the right people and finding them authentically. I don't know. And I think you're going to fuck it up. Um, <laughs> and like, but it's, I think it's important to try and know that, that you won't get it right all the time. Other people won't get it right all the time. You know, sometimes it will turn out as tokenistic and sometimes you're headed out of the park because you left the door open. Um, and the, I guess the, the thing, the bigger picture thing to keep in mind is um, for us as a community of LGBTQI plus people, maybe not to be too harsh on one another when it goes wrong, because that is the change in action that we want to see. And I think, you know, we can be our own harshest critics um, about getting diversity wrong. But the, the, the most important thing is that we're, we, we try. Um, you're not, there's no fucking way you're going to get it right all the time. Yeah. Mike, you say stuff now. Oh, <laughs> but I was also going to say like when it also actually means, I mean, especially if you're, um, a white cis gay guy, um, you just, you need to like catch the bullets. You know, you, you, you're gonna, you, you're gonna, um, get knocked around, you know, for, for doing this. And that's kind of, that's sort of what the work is, right? It's you know, um, it's been a bit unsafe as as the, the sort of holders of power or the most privileged, you know, and um, and just knowing that you know you 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 you're going to get a couple of knocks on the chin, and I think not being too precious about about that, um, you know, we're we're trying to undo something that um, causes a lot of hurt and pain, and that means absorbing a little bit of it ourselves. I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, part of the process that I before this often think about is also not putting too much of the burden on the people like an actor to be like, okay, you have to now teach us all about trans shit. And maybe you don't want to like, that's not like, that's a whole lot of work that someone may have to do that they're that's not part of their job. You almost answered that by having, you had people there that were paid to do that, to, to bring their experience, which I loved. A hundred percent Carl. And actually there's one helpful uh, tip, right? Um, to reduce tokenism is employ or hire or involve two people from a minority community. And it has a, a radically different effect because rather than one person feeling like they have to kind of um, defend and explain and justify 
their existence while the rest of the the group outside that community kind of, uh, as, you know, with the best intentions, uh, questions or interrogates or sort of attacks um, or tries to understand that point of view. If you have two people from each group, suddenly those, um, you know, cis folk, for example, who aren't part of that group, listen in on a dialogue, a conversation. Um, it creates space for people from minority groups to disagree. It creates space for people to be like, well, my experience is different um, and and that's so much healthier. It's 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 you learn way more. It's just a much better dialogue. And um, but often the first mistake we make is thinking, okay, um, you know, the animal one one representative from each group, we've got them covered. <laughs> but really, you're putting each representative in that really defensive position from the start, mm. and instead um, opening up dialogue groups to, to include you know pairings where there's with his dialogue and conversation um that that is has a really beneficial impact yeah that makes so much i would not have thought about that that makes so much sense now that you say it so we're gonna have to go to break here uh, pretty soon but i did want to very quickly if i could ask ask a question that's not really about even representation it's just about you about you um yeah. Uh, uh, so you were you were in the pit crew on RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under, and I'm yeah. curious to know that's a context in which basically you're being paid to be hot on TV, right? <laughs> uh, I, I'm just curious how that has, if it if at all, impacted being taken seriously as a director in this very heady space that has you know all of these important issues because. Uh, I'm just curious if that impacted that experience for you at all. I mean, I guess I'll find out. I mean, I probably wouldn't know <laughs> if it had. Uh, mm. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this, this, um, this has come up a couple of times about the um, the seriousness of directing and the uh, the idea that um, that we should uh, seek to be taken seriously. And mm. um, yeah, I think that's. I guess that speaks to a, a kind of balance about you know you know I mean my God a sense of humor these days is is so um, profoundly useful when you're navigating uh, identity politics mm-hmm. um, and so and and of all the I guess the people in this um, project it's probably really important for me not to take myself too seriously. I think that's what allows you to take some of the blows on the chin. Mm. Yeah. It's so annoying when people that are paid to be hot are also smart. Like that's just really, I just want you to be very dumb and that would make me feel better. So I, I guess, I guess good for you. <laughs> um, yeah. So did we do it, Kyle? We didn't. There's lots yes. more to talk about in this, yeah. this but. Uh... I did, uh, but I really appreciate it. I learned a lot about, I new ideas for how to think about representation and, and honestly just the acceptance that like, you're going to fuck it up, but, but try. So I love that. Cool. But yeah, let's take a break. All right. Let's take a break. This is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. So are we back? We're back. <laughs> We're back. Uh, we are going to do our gays and straightest. We're going to do our gays, gays and straightest. But first, Max Curry, where can people find out more about you, what you're up to, what you are doing in the world? <laughs> uh, sure. I, so I'm Max Curry NZ on Instagram. Um, and uh, we just like this week announced that we uh, received development funding for Rurangi season two. Oh, wow. um, in fact, right wow. now, as I do this interview, um, our writing team is gathered downstairs. That's where I'm heading to next. So we're, we're right now working on season two of the show. And um, Rurangi, uh, uh, you know, bold new uh, trans drama from New Zealand is right now available on uh, ex- streaming exclusively on Hulu. Um, so, yeah, please check it out. There's an amazing hot gay love story um, at the center <laughs> of it that your listeners uh, would probably be into. You should definitely check out Rurangi. <laughs> did i do okay 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 you did I got great there. yeah i appreciate thank you, it thank you <laughs> well our website is gayishpodcast.com we are on all the social media at gayish podcast uh you can send us text messages or leave us voicemails on our hotline that's 5855 gayish that's 585-542-9474 standard rate supply and our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com and our physical mailing address is post office box 19882 seattle washington 98109 
Uh, are you, do you Kyle? You go first. Gayest or straightest? Great, great. Okay, my gayest is this is a little bit uh, just like a basic one, but I've just gotten back into rose. You know, like that was my mm. whole shtick at the very beginning, and then I started adding some variety to my life. But I just don't, I don't need anything else but rose, and yeah. and that's my gayest. <laughs> I'm I'm back in rose times. Um, my straightest is finding holes in my shirt and continuing to wear that. <laughs> It's like, oh, well, that's kind of like under the armpit, so no one's going to see it. That's eh, fine. <laughs> the number of your straightest is of the week that involve wardrobe malfunctions. Is <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> is my straightest of life, probably. What about you, Mike? Uh, well, the gayest thing about me this week is going to the bar Charlie's here in Denver, Colorado. It is like there's go-go boys and there's a shower for the go-go boys and a giant ass dance floor. And it just is super queer. I saw lots of bi people, which I don't know if it's a bi bar, but they sure were out in numbers when, when I was there, it was, it was just, how did was, you see bi people? Like what did, did they have like, <laughs> the word bi on their shirts? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. Okay, great. Okay. That makes sense actually. <laughs> no, I legit uh, saw there was this um, like sort of, pack of people and uh there were there were several of them were clearly hitting on people regardless of gender just like oh. bouncing from person to person on the dance floor it was fantastic so uh, maybe, anyway yeah uh, the straightest thing about me this week is an embarrassing story that i'm gonna tell anyway and but i'm gonna try to do it quickly uh i doing this fraternity thing went to dinner and uh had quite a bit to drink of course and then uh walked home in the rain and just got absolutely soaked through wet which is important to the story because I realized I had to pee really bad, really, really bad, like really bad. And we're getting on the elevator and the elevator's backed up. There's only one elevator that's working. And then I turn, and I'm going to go to the bathroom in the lobby and the cleaning lady has it closed because she's in there. So I'm like, oh, fuck, what do I do? And uh, so finally got on the elevator. I legit couldn't stay. I was I was peeing my pants on the elevator in front of a whole bunch of people, including some of my fraternity brothers. So I reached into my hand in into my pocket and I pinched the end of my dick to stop it. And um, it was very painful. It was very painful. I'm getting to the straightest part. The straightest part is whatever I did. I then had urine in my blood and just did nothing about it. I had urine in my blood for like two days and I didn't go to the hospital or a doctor or get it checked out or anything. I just soldiered, soldiered on like a, like a, like a straight guy, you know, blood in your urine, Mike, or urine in your blood. Oh yeah. Urine in my blood. No blood in my urine. <laughs> no, blood in your urine. There you go. <laughs> anyway, I, 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 I like you less now. I know. I like me less now too. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was a lot, Max. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> sure. So the um, the gayest thing about me this week uh, would have been having sex with a man and and afterwards telling him that I loved him. I, I mean, I, I think uh-huh. sex with a man, you know, isn't so gay, but I think sex with a man and 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 telling him that you love him is definitely gay. Yeah. Um, and I think the straightest thing I had to really scratch my head for the straightest thing I did this week. Um, but it was probably like uh, wearing gumboots and walking around uh, through the mud on a farm and talking to a farmer about the um, a cow shit and, and what that meant about biodiversity. Uh, that felt sort of <laughs> super manly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, well, Max Curry, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Congratulations on the su- success of Rurangi and uh, best wishes for season two. Thank you so much, Mike and Kyle. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a gas being on the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, also, thank you to our super gapers, Jerome York, Forrest Nail, Patrick Martin, Anonymous, Clinton Withers, Explosive Lasagna, Christopher Farrell, Jamie Pugh, Tipsy McStumbles, Thomas B., Dusty Sands, Chris Kachatorian, and CNN and Javi. Thanks for your money. We like that most of all. There's too many of them. We're going to have to make it more expensive, Kyle. Um, okay. <laughs> that's it. This has been Gayish from the Chris Ketchatorian Studios. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. See you next week. See you next week. See you next week.